Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is Friday, September the 16th, 2011. This is episode 746 of the Survival Podcast. We have a cool show today about the secret food uh, knowledge of the ancients. Brian Davis of AskBrian.com is standing by. We'll bring him on just a little bit, tell you about what he's going to talk about, and uh, have a really good conversation with you about lacto-fermentation and paleo-nutrition. I think you really will enjoy today's show. Before we get into the main topic, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, uh, KnifeKits.com. You know, if you want to learn to build knives, you can do that at KnifeKits.com. You can buy really easy kits uh, with all the stuff you need and do final fit and finish and, and form and, and stuff like that and sharpen the blade and come up with something really custom even though a lot of it's done for you. If you need help with even getting that far, you can get books, you can get DVDs, you get all the knowledge you want. But let's say you're already a master bladesmith and you're just looking for exotic raw materials to make some of the most awesome knives in the world. Well, you can get that too. From the beginner to the expert and everyone in between, KnifeKits.com is a place you should check out if you want to make your own knives. Next up today, Sawtooth Tactics. Sawtooth rocks, man. Everything you want to live that tactical lifestyle, you will find at Sawtooth Tactical. Veteran-owned, veteran-operated, and they deliver the way you would expect a veteran uh, to do. All you know, U.S. company based in Idaho. Everything you can think of, man. I'm talking about SOE tactical, SOE tactical gear, John Willis's stuff, Magpul magazines, and everything else you can think of in the tactical environment. Check out SawtoothTactical.com today. Remember, the best way to visit Sawtooth Tactical or Knife Kits or any of our sponsors. Go to the survivalpodcast.com first. Click on their banner in the right-hand margin, and that way you'll be sure you're dealing with an actual Survival Podcast sponsor. Speaking of our sponsors, remember, time is running out on the ready-made resources AR-15 uh, upper giveaway. They're giving away an AR-15 upper from Rock River Arms valued at $890. All you can do is fill a form out, and uh, you can take a shot at winning that. There'll be a link in today's show notes. Make sure you take a shot before time runs out. You only have until September 22nd, and we all know how quick time marches on. Uh, next up, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. I will be Facebooking a lot of photographs and stuff like that from the Self-Reliance Expo today and tomorrow. So make sure you're tuned in to the Survival Podcast Facebook fan page. There will be a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, speaking of that, earlier this week I put out a little teaser of the presentation that I'm giving today at 11 o'clock. By the time you're listening to this, I may have already done it. But if you want to see the teaser, you can see that at the survivalpodcast.com. It was posted on Tuesday, actually Wednesday. Uh, next up, remember, connect with me in the forum and the other community members in the forum. Check out our gear shop. We have some cool stuff there. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You get over $100 worth of free ebooks. You get video content that's available nowhere else. 
And uh, you're supporting the show at about 18.3 cents an episode if you actually do the math on the average number of shows that I do per year. And remember, also, if you're military, law enforcement, or Peace Corps, active duty or prior service, and you want to join the Member Support Brigade, you can email me with the details of your service, your name, your job, where you serve, that type of thing. Don't get to like a CV or a resume or anything. Just a little blurb about who you were and what you did so I know that I'm dealing with somebody that actually served. And I'll give you a special discount just for people who have served uh, our country. And uh, I believe that those three uh, folks actually do that. And I've been asked things like, you know, what about a firefighter? I, you know, if you think what you're doing qualifies for a discount, email me. Maybe it does. I definitely would tell you I would probably honor any firefighter as well. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and uh, introduce our guest today. All right, folks, as I said during the introduction segment, we are fortunate today to have with us a special guest, Mr. Brian Davis, who runs a blog called AskBrian.com, which is really cool and talks about all different types of things from a gardening and nutritional standpoint. Some really cool articles I was reading on there just today and even a little bit of uh, politics that I think have a bit of libertarian flair to them based on the article I looked at today. Um, so uh, he's here to talk to us today, though, about a secret of the ancients, though, folks, uh, lacto-fermented foods. And uh, Brian is... Uh, He's a pretty cool guy, man. He's uh, really passionate about uh, foods and nutrition. He uh, says about himself, I ferment foods, I fix things, broken guts, homes, mines, and machines. His site is a collection of things that he's come across. He's a seeker, a recent paleo-primal LCHF diet enthusiast tinkerer. We're going to have to talk about that so that I fully understand it. He's staring down the corporate control of minds. He's here to help you fix your gut, and that'll help you fix your mind. He says that's a scientific fact, Jack, and I don't think he's talking to me. I think he's talking to everyone. Brian, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Uh, thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. Um, you wanted to call today's show The Ancients, right, and talk about... <laughs> Uh, this, this, it's almost a lost technology. It's really not, but it's very few people, especially do it themselves, other than a can of sauerkraut off a grocery shelf. And I'm sure you're going to tell us why that's not quite what we're looking for. Uh, people have really gotten out of the concept of, of lacto fermentation. Can you talk a little bit about some of the benefits there and uh, why you have such a passion for it? Oh, yeah, sure. We need to spread this message. Um, you know, people are taking this, this knowledge to their graves. Because of our, you know, the standard American diet, the processed foods, the quick, the convenient. And um, we need to rediscover this lacto-fermented foods. Um, so, yeah, we could start with um, the health benefits, you know. Um, improving your gut, um, it would be the number one your first response. The first thing you're going you're gonna to get from this is uh, an improved gut quality. And we can kind of discuss that in detail. And then the, um, the second important thing about lacto-fermented foods is food preservation. Well, I think so those I, are both big topics uh, here with the audience. I mean, can you just kind of maybe start out with why it's so important in the first place that we, we go into this? Yeah, sure. Um, for, the, for the health perspective, so we're going to take, um, let's see how this, how this process works. It's a transformation. So we're going to take... Um, your, 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 your harvest, your bounty that you've grown. So let's just say something basic like cabbage, right? And we're going to uh, transform that into, um, something that's extremely healthy uh, beyond the nutrients that are just there in the plant itself. 
We're going to transform it. We're going to make it healthier for you. Um, we're going to use the natural occurring bacterias and yeast that are on the plant itself. That's that white film you see on a dark green cabbage. You know, that white film. You'll see it also on dark, like plums and grapes, that white film. It almost looks that, like powder. It does. Um, you'll often hear it referred to as bloom, the bloom. It looks like a powder. It looks like you want to wash it off. Uh, for years, I always wanted to wash that off. I thought it was some chemical spray. I thought it was pesticides or, or something. Turns out that's um, lactic acid or lactobacilli bacteria. <clears throat> They're present on the plant to help the plant, to protect it from um, invaders, um, from predators. So what we'll do is we're going we're gonna to activate that lactobacilli with um, different techniques. Say, for instance, with cabbage, we're going to add a little salt, a little pressure, a little thyme. It's going to release a lot of its liquid. It's going to be submerged. And then we're going to create lacto-fermentation. So we're going to activate that lactobacillus. So that bacteria is going to start eating away at the cabbage. And that's going to produce lactic acid and carbon dioxide. The lactic acid is extremely important for your health, for your gut health, um, and then for, pres pre for preservation. So you get two, you kill two birds with one stone. You're going to improve your health. And then that's a, a stable product. You can keep sauerkraut in a crock in a cool temperature, say if you had a cellar or a basement, um, for, you know, as short as a week. You could go three months, 18 months, even for years. You know, you hear and, um, aged for, for a decade. Awesome, awesome. And, I mean, you maybe just tell people a little bit, I mean, exactly – When we say fermented food, you, you've kind of covered this already, but exactly what is that? And I, I mean more than just like how does it work, but people know sauerkraut, but it, it's much right. bigger than that, even with just vegetables, isn't it? There's a lot of other things we can do. Sure, yeah. It's So you'll hear the terms pickled and then fermented or lacto-fermented. Pickled really causes some confusion. Um, people like to make pickles or eat pickles. Usually what they're referring to is a vinegar solution or a pasteurized vinegared canning process where you kill every living organism in that jar and then preserve it in vinegar to keep bacteria from growing. What we're doing with lacto-fermentation is actually encouraging bacterial growth. These are what's commonly referred to now as pro, uh, probiotics. These are the healthy bacteria. And this is the, um, this is why I was referring to the ancients. The ancients, these are our ancestors. And we can look back as far as we need in certain cultures. They didn't have, they didn't know about pasteurization, boiling, preserving in vinegars. They used certain oils, um, honey, And a lot of these things, all these techniques, utilize um, bacteria for preservation and uh, lactic acid. What, what about the person that's kind of hearing this and getting a little bit nervous with it? And, and mm -hmm. Bacteria is a bad thing. Fungus is a bad thing. And let's, it's jump, just, let's jump right on it. Let's just let's attack bacteria real quick. We need to get get right on this and understand what is going on. We are 90% bacteria. 90 to 90%. We're about one to 10% human. 
Uh, you can look up, um, if any, your listeners know about TED, TED Talks, the greatest minds in the world get down, you know, and talk on, on, and it's available for free on video. There's a woman, um, I'll have to double check. I could add you the show notes. Her name's Bonnie Basler. She did a talk on bacteria. This is what she studies. We are bacteria. It is, it is everything about us. There's two to three pounds of bacteria in our gut right now. Hopefully, if you're sick or ill, maybe less, and you may have a bad balance of bacteria. So your entire digestive tract is, um, that alone is, is, you know, containing, like I said, about two or three pounds of bacteria. And we need to get that balanced in our favor. We need to shift the balance over. So, so there's your bacteria. And then also, like for when I mentioned gut health, you have a back, a lot of people, about, they say, 50% of people right now are suffering um, acid reflux or heartburn or GERD or, or one of these terms. I'm sure you're familiar with it. You've seen the commercials. They're relentless. Prevacid, Nexium. The purple pill. The purple pill. Yes, you have to have this. They show the bloat. They show the burn climbing up the throat and then the pushing it back down with the medicine, right? So this is another one of my strategies for life. Get off of pharma. Get get that out of your life. I suffered with um, GERD, uh, stomach problems, every known stomach ailment I had and suffered miserably for years until I discovered lacto-fermented foods. You know, it makes me think of, Brian, is it makes me think of, of, like, looking at your body and cultivating things in your body the way we talk about cultivating things naturally in a garden. Um, you mentioned that, you know, you know, your body is like 90-some-odd percent bacteria, and obviously if it's that all the time, then that's good bacteria for us. And it, it makes me think of insect pests. So we have a garden, and 99% of the insects out there are not pests, Mm-hmm. Uh, and 1% are, and then we go and we nuclear bomb it with chemicals and we That's kill right. everything. And then, of course, the pests, when they come back, there's no predators, and they do head spins on top of our cabbage and they eat it all. They they, they dominate quick. So and our body can be the same way as what you're yeah, saying. We go and have that wipe out all the good, and then the bad stuff that's in there just has nothing to compete with it. You're absolutely right. And the other thing is when you have a pest in your garden, it is oftentimes it is a clue that there's an imbalance in place. Sometimes they'll identify a sick plant for you. A lot of people don't realize this. Watch, watch these bad pests. Oftentimes you'll see the damage that the pest caused, but it may be an underlying problem of a, a nutrient deficiency in soil. So something about the plant isn't healthy, and it's that's why it's being consumed by this pest. Same thing with your body. If you're having um, a known issue with your stomach, you have a, a, an imbalance in your gut. And um, I'd like to cover heartburn real quick, since approximately half of people, adults, have this now. Everyone thinks it's because you have high stomach acid, and it's untrue. That's good for pharma and the sellers of medicine. You don't typically... Almost always, you do not have too much stomach acid. What you have is low stomach acid. Causes a bacterial overgrowth, and you have poorly digested carbohydrates in your stomach. When that, when those two things combine, you get intra-abdominal pressure. Your, your stomach bloats. It puts pressure on a valve there, and the little bit of stomach acid you have climbs into your throat, into your esophagus, and that burns. And we can fix that like snap with 
uh, lacto-fermented foods because of the uh, lactic acid present in the foods. And we can fix, if any of your listeners have acid reflux or heartburn, we can fix that without medicine, with cabbage from your garden. All right, well, that, I mean, exactly how would we do that? I mean, let's go ahead and do a little bit of like a hands-on tutorial here. Um, if, if I wanted to go ahead and, and make some lacto-fermented cabbage, or we also call sauerkraut, yeah. how would I do that? Yeah, I'll say, look, this time of year right now, there's got to be cabbages around, right? Uh, they're everywhere. If you, if you have them in your garden for a neighbor or wherever, you're going to get your natural, local cabbage, hopefully in the ideal world, pesticide-free and all that. And then also, if you have any roots around um, or any um, other interesting veg vegetation, you can use that as well. Say, throw in some carrots. Think like coleslaw, like that kind of thing. That's kind of like the ingredients, onions, things like that. Gather up a few of those interesting things and chop up some cabbage any way you like. You can make it big wedges, little thin ribbons, whatever. However, it doesn't matter. You got to just practice and experience and experiment. But if, say, my grandfather's technique, one nickel width, that's how, that's how the cabbage should be sliced. And then what you're going to do is um, maybe place that in a big bowl and salt it. And um, salt it to your liking. You know, if you want to get technical and you want to measure it, you want to weigh it, you can go 2% by weight of salt. That's a good thumbnail for sauerkraut, about 2% salt. But I like to just say, just salt it to your comfort, to what you think would be an adequate amount of salt for that amount of cabbage. And then let it sit, give it some time while you chop more cabbage. Throw in some chopped carrots, onions, things that you like. Mix that all together. We're going to put that in some type of vessel. So you'll have a crock, a mason jar, um, even a glass cookie jar, anything but metal. You wouldn't want to use any aluminum or anything like that. So I cover... I love the fact that you can just use found objects as the vessel that you're going to do this in. And we'll, for the, for starters, we're going to do a quick one week ferment on the countertop just so you can see how the process works. We're going to get this cabbage and vegetation pushed into a, let's say, mason jar. We're going to push that down. The liquid in that cabbage is going to release and you should be able to cover. It'll be enough when you, when you apply pressure that you'll have that cabbage submerge in its own liquid. If you can't get that much liquid out, you'll add a little bit of salt water brine. Mix that about 2% salt to cover. A little trick you can do to keep this submerged is take a zip-top bag, put it down in the jar, and fill that with water and close it off. That'll just keep it submerged below the liquid. That's really important. And then we'll just cover that with a cloth and a rubber band. Or a lid if you'd like. You can put a lid on it. But um, it's going to create a lot of pressure because it's going to create carbon dioxide. So if you put a lid on, keep it loose just to keep the flies and bugs out. And then the magic will happen right on your kitchen counter within three days. Then you can try a little bit, see what you think. It's probably going to get better at around day five, and it's probably going to be great after seven days. Ideally, sauerkraut, you'd want to go three weeks. So what you do is room temperature for two days and then cool storage for three weeks. And um, it's as simple as that. 
And are there other things we can do other than cabbage? I mean, I, I've looked at doing maybe like you mentioned pickles and, uh, oh, yeah. we can do like lacto fermented pickles, right? Real pickles. That's right. The, the traditional pickle, a lacto fermented pickle, what, you know, you might refer to as a deli pickle, like a New York style pickle. And that's just going to be in about a 5% brine solution. So a lot stronger salt content makes it a real, a good sour pickle. That's what's called a half sour. Is it about 5% brine? And then you're just going to be collecting things from the garden, things that are, are nearly roadside free. Dill, you know. Um, you can have the, the dry dill. If you have some in your cabinet, you take your wild dill, your garden dill. You're going to take the whole plant, push it down in that jar, get your garlic and your pickles, and um, do that kind of same process where it's submerged, And then you just, it's just time. There is free information available everywhere. You can check out my site. Um, I'll provide you some uh, great books and websites and tips for people that can get just the, all the basic recipes for themselves. Are there certain things we should not do this with? Are there certain vegetables that are, that are not suitable for this? Or maybe certain vegetables that we can do it, but they need to be combined with something else like cabbage? Yeah, that's a good, good point. Beets. Beets are, are, a, are one of the most wonderful, probably one of the healing plants of all. Um, but to do those on their own is a little tricky and they, they create us. It's they, they're slimy kind of, I think it's kind of cool. It's like um, movie blood, but um, if you'll combine it with a little bit of cabbage and maybe some onions, the appearance is a lot better. But um, yeah, that's one of the tricky ones is beets. It takes a little experimentation. So, I mean, are you familiar with chow chow? I call myself a chow chow connoisseur. My grandmother was uh, big on chow chow, and our chow chow was basically whatever was left at the end of the season that didn't go into something else. And there was always some cabbage in there and green tomatoes and uh, carrot and, and things like that and, and maybe a little couple pieces of cauliflower and, and all that uh -huh. stuff together. I mean, we I could do that with uh, with this this technique instead Perfect. of Perfect. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. oh. A little bit of salt, a little water, and a little thyme. Now, One thing to help get things going. Now, when you're talking about your your garden vegetables, they are going to have this lactobacillus present on them because they're grown naturally and close to the soil and in real soil. That's where all this beneficial bacteria comes from. But when you're talking about these supermarket hybridized plants that are grown God knows where and in, in, in God knows what, you're going to want to get a starter culture, um, whether that be just some whey removed from some yogurt or um, you can get vegetable cultures you can use a, a living live sauerkraut juice um, and that that'll have a little bit of a beneficial boost to get the bacteria going for you kind of the way we pitch yeast when we make beer exactly that's yeah. the exact same thing yep so I mean this all sounds good it makes me hungry it makes me yeah. come back um, but I also want to talk about the benefits of it what what are some of the benefits you found during your process of discovery here as you've been doing this and incorporating it into your life have have you seen like a really meaningful impact and what kind of speed you know what kind of speed has that come on with has it been a slow process a fast process or what fast, fast process and the sicker you are the better you're going to get real quick especially with the gut Um, that, that'll happen right away and you can wean off of any medications you're on for your gut in, in no time. Um, go ask your doctor when you're going to get off your Prevacid or your Tagamet. He's not going to have an answer for you. 
So that's a zero. You're going to be on that medicine forever. Well, he may have an answer, and that's probably what it is. Well, forever. Yeah, that's the answer. There is yeah. no, there's no weaning off of those medications because they're designed, they're designed to keep your stomach ill. Um, I would have a warning for anyone of your listeners that are on a PPI, a proton pump inhibitor. That's, um, let's make sure I get the medicines right. I think you're talking Nexium and some of those, but you'll, you'll be able to know if you were on a PPI, ask your doctor, why am I on this PPI? Is this the proper prescription for me? Know this. That is dangerous medicine. You should not be on it. And you can wean yourself off. Don't quit them though. Don't quit them cold turkey, but uh, we can get you off those medications. They're damaging your, your stomach and that's going to damage your health. <laughs> and another thing I'd like to talk about is what's called the gut brain um, axis. So your gut and your brain are connected um, through this thing called the gut-brain axis. You have neurons in your gut. They actually call it the second brain. You have as many neurons in your gut, um, as, as many as anywhere else in your body, even more than in your spinal column. And we're just now under, uncovering this and what it means. So that'll be one of the second things you, you could notice um, in your, as you heal your gut, you will actually fix your mind. And um, you'll have better clarity of thought. If you have some cloudiness, you, it kind of lifts. I know it sounds a little mystic and a little mysterious, but it's there's scientific studies to back this up. So, it doesn't sound mystic to me. It sounds scientific. If you have a gut that's leaking toxin into your body and you think that that's not going to have an effect on your mental clarity and your mental mm-hmm. status, I find that preposterous. It, it, we can look at something that, I, you know, we even say imbibe of uh, recreationally like alcohol. Uh, I like to have a beer or two, but mm-hmm. if you drink a lot of beer, to say that it doesn't have a effect on your mind is insane because, of course, it does. Well, right. it's because alcohol itself is, on some levels, we could call it a toxin. I also think it's it, it's quite useful in some other ways. Um, but if we have the body producing its own toxins and poisoning itself from the gut outward um, and think that that's not going to affect our brains, it seems insane to me that, that any doctor would try to tell you otherwise. Very true. And you mentioned something. You mentioned the word leaky gut, and that is an actual clinical problem. Leaky gut, leaky, you know, um, irritable bowel syndrome, leaky gut. This is ramp, rampant, and uh, very few people even know that this could be the potential of what's harming them. So when I said earlier, you know, you have this bad bacteria in your stomach, you have poorly digested carbohydrates. Those get into your gut and start digesting inside your gut where they were supposed to have been taken care of in the stomach. They actually ferment in your stomach. That can produce hydrogen gas, highly explosive hydrogen gas. Hydrogen is also a molecule so small uh, um, that's going to be able to pass right through your gut lining. And then also, bad bacteria love hydrogen. They flourish in it. So you'll have bad bacterial overgrowth inside your intestines. So this is just a... uh, it's a cyclical, sick spiral effect, starting, you know, as simply as your stomach and leading eventually to leaky gut, irritable bowel syndrome. And I want people to, if they have any of these issues, we can fix it. And let's fix those that don't have it before they end up with it.
You know, it also makes me think I don't want to give people an excuse to go out and try to like plaster themselves or anything. But um, I recently got back into home brewing, and I've always noticed that when I'm drinking a couple home brews a day versus a couple pasteurized beers a day, that my body seems to function better because there's mm-hmm. a giving yeast in there as well. Mm-hmm. I would I would agree. Um, I have my own things with um, wheats that um, maybe we can discuss a little bit about um, what I believe people should eat. Right now, I'm anti any <clears throat> any grains, but um, in a ferment in a ferment, things change. Like I said, things are transformed. Um, there are beneficial ways to consume grains, and those are prepared traditionally along ancient cultural techniques. Cultures survive because they worked, because their food worked, and you can't separate this out. So a fermented beer. Maybe that is actually beneficial to some degree. But like you said, the mass-produced beer, can it. Shit can it. Get it out of your life. Be responsible and get it out of your life. Yeah. Find a local brewer. If you want to drink some beer, find a local guy. There's someone. And if not, learn yourself. Yeah, it's not a hard thing to do. We've done whole shows on it. You mentioned there are some safer ways to use grains. Well, given this is a preparedness community you're speaking to, a lot of us do store specifically wheat. Uh, because it stores for so long, because it lasts for so long, because it's such a great um, store of nutrition uh, for hard times. So what are maybe some ways that uh, traditional societies used wheat that we maybe wouldn't recognize today uh, that would be better for people than white bread? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I didn't hear the majority of your question. It was silent. But I think we're talking grains here. Um, traditionally prepared by sprouting, or fermenting grains. So grains were sprouted. And in the beer world, that's a malt. Correct. You sprout a grain. So, um, and then this is also used in, um, well, let's take the Bible, for instance. Um, Ezekiel, you know what people term Ezekiel bread. Um, that is made from sprouted grains. They'll take seven different grains and actually sprout them and make the bread with that. The um, anti-nutrients in the grains are are transformed and or removed. <clears throat> you know, as a brewer, as a brewer, let me let me speak on that a second because it makes sense to me. Uh, what you were talking about is when we eat certain foods and they're going into our gut and the fermentation process is going on in our gut. Especially if you have a starch, then you have a two-stage fermentation process because the starch has to undergo a conversion to sugar when you sprout. Um, when you initially first sprout, you begin the starch sugar conversion. But if you let the sprout go for a while, it actually consumes the majority of the sugar, and then you're left with the base nutritional elements of the grain itself in this new sprout. And so you're not putting excess sugar or starch into your system if you're fermenting the grain before you can. Or from, I'm sorry, not fermenting, but if you are um, sprouting the grain before you consume it, then I'd love to hear some ways to yep. ferment grain because that's going to yeah, I, I want to know perfect. what that does because it's great. Means you're going to get alcohol. I, I'm not saying it's bad, but that's what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, perfect example there. Um, with this, it's it's a very similar process to the natural bacteria present in the cabbage, like I mentioned. It consumes the carbohydrates, the starches in that cabbage, and like I said, produces the lactic acid, carbon dioxide. Now, with yeast and sugars, you're in a different world. You're you're like you said with the um, production of sugar. Those yeasts produce alcohol in the ferment process. So you will not be producing alcohol um, consuming the vegetation with bacteria. So the process gets a little confusing 
to, especially if you start talking about other ferments like, I don't know if you've ever heard of kombucha, but that's a wildly popular health drink right now. And that's one that I'd recommend everyone giving a try <laughs> to make it home because it's so easy. And that's a fermented tea. And um, there is a potential for a little alcohol in that ferment as well because it uses yeasts and bacteria. But I guess as long as it's not an excessive amount, it's not really a big deal. You're talking um, half of 1%. No, it's, it's meaningless. You're going yep, to you're you're get more than that walking by a bar and breathing yep, fumes. It's a, it's a wash. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and the body can handle a certain amount of alcohol as though it were uh, any other thing that goes into the body that needs to be handled. Yeah, it's comparable to um, aged orange juice, actually. Okay. You have orange juice that's a little bit tangy. There's about that much alcohol in that. Do you have any um, recipes or ways to use grain? Well, here's a good one. There's a beverage called Rejuvelac. Not So right now I'm focused on not eating the grains, okay. but you could look at, like I said, Ezekiel-type bread and okay. kind of read about that and get your background there. But I know of a beverage called Rejuvelac. It takes some rye berries. Um, these are the whole rye, and these are sproutable. And um, you're going to submerge these in water, do some water changes, you know, where you soak them, drain them, soak them, drain them, and then let them sprout. And when they sprout, you're going to fill this with water, and you're going to create a beverage called Rejuvelac. And all it is is the the water that the sprouted grains are in. They're going to sit in that for 12 to 24 hours. It is a powerful elixir. <clears throat> I don't know if you're um, many um, people may be familiar with candida or candida overgrowth. Uh, a lot of women have experience with this. This is a yeast uh, overgrowth in your body, and this rejuvelac will knock it right out. It's a very simple recipe. I can give you a link so that people can follow along with the instructions. See, that's the thing with ferments. It's not really recipes. It's technique and instructions, not so much a recipe. That makes sense. And that's actually, I always say with cooking anyway, that you're better off with technique because then you can work with whatever you happen to have. Right. Um Moving on, I mean, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, it seems like you're really informed on nutrition, some general nutrition things that people can uh, do to uh, to be in better health. I mean, are the, you said not to eat grains. Did I hear you say yeah. not to eat legumes as well? Sure. So my approach would be, this is what I said on my website, you know, I'm a paleo primal enthusiast. So there's this diet, let's call it a diet, paleo diet. Um, this is a Removal of grains, legumes, and dairy from your diet. Um, this is based on evolution. If you believe in evolution, um, you could say we were, we've been human for two and a half to three million years. <clears throat> and for all but the last 10,000 years of that, we had a certain way. And then with the uh, advent of agriculture, we ended up eating a completely different way. And that's the grains and legumes. And so I guess you're you're fine with meat then? Oh, absolutely. Oh, we're gonna get along just fine then. <laughs> we gotta we gotta nail. We, we have you have to understand. Let's talk meat. Let's talk grass-fed beef. You know, bison from ranges that are, are raised naturally. These are superfoods. This is what a man was. I say a man. I mean humankind was meant to eat. Uh, these ruminants that chew the grasses 
they're converting solar energy into powerful food for you. Um, I strongly believe in eating meat. I was a vegetarian for two years. And um, I just, um, let's say, the, the beginning of this year, went to um, paleo and reintroduced meat into my diet <clears throat> and into my family's diet. And the health transformations have been remarkable. And I'm talking about going from vegetarian, which is supposedly healthy. I did manage to lose 40 pounds vegetarian, but I had a, a flabby gut. I looked like the doughboy. If you took my shirt off, you know, you'd stick your finger three inches into my gut, even though I weighed less. And um, going paleo causes you to get lean, strong, and, and fit and more alert. It, it's, it's, it's absolutely magic. My wife has lost um, 65 pounds from her pregnancy weight, you know, from after she gave birth to a weight at, well, I'm going to ruin the surprise here, nearly 40 years of age. <laughs> Sorry, honey. Um, Good luck with that, Ron. Yeah, we'll see how that flies. <laughs> But anyways, she has, she's at less than her high school weight. Unbelievable. She, she does not do yoga. She does no cardio. She raises kids and works. She doesn't exercise for the sake of exercising, but she does work out because we've got three little kids. So, Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to say something about the losing weight thing. It's not good to be fat. I, I've lost quite a bit of weight in the last year myself. I've actually lost about 40 pounds, almost almost 45 pounds at mm -hmm. this point. Um, and and I, I think I've done it right, and there's been plenty of meat involved with it. Uh, somebody pointed out to me one time that just because you're losing weight doesn't mean you're healthy. That if you go to a hospital and you look at people laying in bed dying, they're all losing weight. Sure. So sure. you can be losing weight. You can be losing weight and dying. Sure. <laughs> you know? uh, if you have cancer, you're going to lose weight. If you're getting yeah. chemotherapy for cancer, you're going to lose weight. Neither one of those are, you know, you're not going to hear the cancer diet plan. You get cancer, lose weight. Uh, yeah. Nobody wants we're, that. So We're going to feed ourselves and lose weight say, I throw that up in quotes, or not. You may maintain the exact same weight, but your body is going to transform. When I went paleo, my weight has not changed since I was vegetarian, but my body looks radically different. I'm just leaner. Like People see me, they're like, oh my God, how much more weight are you going to lose? I'm like, I weigh exact, I weigh 175. I weighed 175 January 1st. I weigh 175 today. But I look radically different. From my neck, my midsection, completely slimmer. I would say that's because it's probably your, your your weight you should be at. And had you weighed 225 pounds when you went paleo, you probably mm -hmm. would have lost the 50 right down to 175. I'd be at this weight, I think, either way. Yep. Whichever way yep. would, would have been that approach. Now let's talk about people with a big midsection. Okay. This is huge. <laughs> Check out this new book called Wheat Belly by um, Dr. William Davis called Wheat Belly. It explains it all. And with the, sim with the most simple thing, removing wheat from your diet will radically transform your health. It's especially curious for anyone who's interested in agriculture. Let's uncover the real truth about wheat and what happened. Wheat is not what you think it is. If you think you're eating wheat that your parents ate or even the wheat that you ate when you were a kid, you're not. It changed in the 70s. Now, read the story. It's, it's mind-boggling to find out that what we're eating doesn't even resemble the wheat we ate previously. And 
the harmful effects it has on our health. So you have that big midsection. That's directly related to your lifespan. Having that big midsection really um, can can drastically shorten your life. And then also, let's talk. Let's get back into the the, the survivalist idea, right? You need. I was. I've been reading your tenets. I, I, they really speak to me. I, it, they're beautiful, and I want to. I want to look at those, and I think well, you know what? One thing in these tenets that you need is um, physical fitness. If you're if there's a situation and you need to move and you need to get going. I know hunkering down and having some weapons is awesome, but you may need to run from a fire. You may be able to need to rescue someone, yourself or a child. You need some physical fitness. If you've got this big fat belly and you can't run and you've got edema, red swollen legs, or you weigh 350 pounds and you fall down, you may be left behind because there are four guys that can carry you on a stretcher. Why not get lean and, you know, I, I, that's why I go a little crazy when I think I get sad for people that have poor physical health when it's 90% just the nutrition that you eat. Removing wheat is the very first step towards, towards fixing that. Well, I should say fermenting foods first and removing wheat. And then if you want to carry it out and investigate a little further, read about paleo. The reason I love paleo food, the paleo diet is it's 100% based on food. There's no bars. There's no protein bars. There's no shakes. There's no product to buy. Gee, I wonder why it's not marketed heavy. Here's the problem. Why no one's heard of paleo. There's no TV commercial. There's yeah. nothing. There is an awesome book called The Paleo Solution written by Rob Wolf. R-O-B-B, Wolf. That book is a treasure. It's easy to read. It's got a lot of science in it. And you can skip that section if you're... If your eyes start glazing over, and just get to the nuts and bolts of it. Get on that diet. He calls it a buy-in. You need to buy in for 30 days. Just go with the program for 30 days, and you're buying food. You're not sending checks to him. He's not mailing you <laughs> shit bars, cliff bars, whatever the, you know, hate <laughs> fake food. Real food for real humans, and get on board. 30 days later, you're pretty much every every biomarker that you have, your your lipid, your blood, your whatever you want to test, you're going to feel and perform better eating this way. You know, Brian, on the meat thing, I know a lot of people are trying to get more sustainable now, and I hear things. And even a good friend of mine recently uh, was talking about how you know is meat sustainable, and he's he's a, he's a very much a protein eater. It's probably like I'm gonna have a cow on my property anyway, even though it may not be sustainable. I think it's far more sustainable than grain or grain fed meat to to do mm-hmm. pasture cows. And here's what I mean by that: if I take uh, any kind of an annual grass or grain crop, uh, be it corn or wheat, or barley, or even something like a, a grass that's conventionally grown annually for cattle, uh, maybe alfalfa, which is a legume, uh, and I, I put that into a pasture, and I grow it, and I grow it very, very well. I even do it the right way, um, and I do it healthy, and I don't I don't infect it or anything else. If I pull that up from the ground, I'm going to see a root system that goes down about 12 inches. Mm-hmm. If I let native prairie grass grow back, and I, I've got to pull the ruminants off the land long enough for it to heal after it's been abused. But once it grows back, I would have to literally get a track hoe and carve out to even see the root profile because I'm going to end up with a root system in those perennial grasses that's five to seven feet deep and in some cases 12 feet of, of that's the root right. system. That's now, right. that is, once that's there, 
as long as I don't overgraze it, as long as I move my ruminants around, mm -hmm. that is bulletproof. It can stand up to the worst droughts that, that you can possibly imagine. If I do a few things with some land sculpting and swelling to, to irrigate the system, I can even put trees into certain components of it, and I can take and I can run cattle or I can run any other type of protein source, hogs, anything I want to, chickens, ducks, geese, I can run them on that land forever. Right. And the forever. only thing I have to do is harvest and, and, and maybe bring in some new genetics once in a while. Yeah. To me, that's yeah. more sustainable than a soybean field, even if I'm eating soy. Soy, corn, yeah, it, it, just despicable. It's, uh, monocropping, despicable, despise, I mean, just loathsome. But what you were describing there, you're honoring the natural system. You're honoring the sun and what it, what it does, fuels the grasses, These animals live off the grasses. Ruminants, look, that's what they eat. They eat grass. They don't eat corn. They, they don't eat seeds. Now, you let these ruminants do their work and follow the natural system. Think of like a, if, if, you, if your listeners know anything about Joel Salatin and his farming techniques. Like you said, it's a rotation. The ruminants come through. They munch off the top of the grasses. They lay down their patties, their, um, their manure. You put um, the flies The larvae gets on there. He runs his chickens across that. Chickens eat the larvae. Refertilize. It's a, it's, it's honoring this natural cycle. You'll always see in nature, you'll see the bison as the herd moves. What comes in behind them? Flocks of birds. You can farm mimicking natural systems. When you do that, you're, you're naturally sustainable. You don't have to invent tilapia fish farms in a cement building trying out insane aquaponics. I get that. I'm glad people are on that. There may be a day when we really need that. So I'm glad that's out there. But I'm just saying in the fields and in the grasses, you know, in, in your backyard, there's a natural system. If you honor it, it'll, it'll feed us. Yeah, and what ruined it were roads and barbed wire because the buffalo mm -hmm. herds wandered and it's amazing, right? There were like 50 million of them just in the heartland, and they never overgrazed anything, and no one told them where to go. They just kind of figured it out for themselves. But in our yeah. modern systems, if we want them to be sustainable, we have to move them around because we can't give them the space anymore that they used to have. The invention of barbed wire was as much the end of the buffalo as the 4570 lead slug. <laughs> right, and trains with um, rich white folk shooting out the window, knocking yeah. these poor guys down. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's perfect. Just honoring the natural systems, letting these ruminants do their job. Um, and back to people. I love this. There's an author, um, Stanton, Jay Stanton. He's got a quote. Eat like a predator, not like prey. I think that's a great metaphor for your diet and for your overall health. Eat like a predator, not like prey. Don't eat birdseed. Rabbits <laughs> and birds and these things that you eat, that's what they eat. Don't eat that. Eat the rabbit, right? You know, you're saying things that I say all the time, and every time I say this stuff, I get people posting links to this thing called the China Study. Are you familiar It's, with that? You, you want to pull that away? Let's, that? Yeah, let's cover that. China Study is total BS, cherry-picked bad science. There's our science writer. Her name's Denise Minger. She single-handedly completely debunked and wrecked the China study. 
Other studies, um, look at Ansel Keys. The reason we are afraid of fat right now, the reason we're afraid of saturated fat, bad, bogus, cherry-picked, BS, bullshit science. That's the seven countries study, right? They found seven countries with some uh, correlations that seemed to appear as if um, some countries that ate high saturated fat had well, higher risk of heart disease. Well, there was 25 countries in the study, right? And uh, all that information was <laughs> missing. Just like the other ones out. It sounds like cherry picking. You know, so, let's, let's create some variation. Let's just uh, we'll push it out of the graph. But put, put that right off, and then look, we've got our result. You know, in a study, you can find whatever you're looking for if you're willing to manipulate the data. Remove what you don't want. Yep. Focus on what you do. Write a summary that you you know that favors you. But I've always said, as a, as a former sales and marketing guy, if you put data into a spreadsheet for me, I don't care what the source of the data is, you tell me the picture you want the graph to display, and by manipulating yep. axis and hiding columns, <laughs> I can make that graph do, I can make it show growth, I can make it show decline from sure. the same data sets. I can make the growth look extreme, I can make it look moderate, I can make the decline look extreme or moderate, I can make any segment of the graph look like a problem or a solution because I understand how a spreadsheet works and how macros work and how right. axes work. And I think that this kind of crap is done all the time in the nutritional industry because if you go into something that you're doing quote-unquote research with and you already know the result you want coming out there's no way your results are pure well look your study has to be funded <laughs> you're going to get paid you're getting paid american uh, soy farmers association is funding exactly. your study you need someone with some money's paying you to do the study they want a result that they want and if they don't get it there goes your funding there goes you're you're done they're looking for results they're paying for results and that's what they're going to get and who has money Pharma has money, certain, yeah, like you just said, pharma consumers, some people, you know, but just, like I said, the paleo diet, they don't have a fund, you know, but we can study the natural system, get back on board, rediscover what ancient man ate, and, um, and thrive. What are your thoughts on meat for the homestead? The guy that's only got four or five acres and really can't, maybe, maybe he can run one hog or one cow a, a year, but, um, I mean, rabbits, uh, goat, yeah. I mean, if it's meat, eat it. Is, yeah, is but don't, like, wild animals are great, but don't get caught up in thinking that you can live off of rabbit. Um, you can't. They're, they're too lean. Um, there is a thing, an actual term called rabbit starvation, if you've heard of that. I've heard of it. I'm gonna bust that myth though for you. Yeah, I'm gonna well, just gonna tear that myth up. Rabbit starvation. If you live on nothing but rabbit, especially wild rabbit, um, yes, uh, you're gonna get into a point of basically your starvation is a, is a depletion of fat. If you're growing rabbit that's well fed, it's gonna have a little bit more sure. fat on it. If you're eating rabbit two or three times a week and other things like beef and lamb and, and venison. It's not even an issue. Absolutely. And if you had to live on rabbit, if you would eat things like the internal organs, like the kidneys and the liver, That's you're going right. to get more fat That's than right. you can possibly imagine. So it's all based on how we choose how, to use the rabbit. How it's raised and how it's eaten. That's right. You have to honor the way animals were eaten in the past. Organs were saved and nearly worshipped, usually fed to seniors and pregnant women or, people, or women got the organ meats first to um, further us, you know, to, to make sure a, a woman was healthy enough to carry a child. She got the organ meats. And then also because they honored their 
um, the elders in their community, they were also given the choice organ meats. They went to them first. Then we ate the fat, the fatty cuts. They would reserve the lean cuts and wrap them in fat. They would, they would, they would literally take the <laughs> lean cut. The lean cuts to them were nearly the garbage. They were like the hoof. So for them, they had to wrap it and encase it in fat to make it a viable food. So it's fun to um, discover um, the way older ancient civilizations, even just a few generations back, depending on where your people are from, the way they handled, respected the earth, animals, and their own community. You know, um, it makes me think, I, I used to read a lot of books on hunting, and some of my favorite things to read as a kid were the books of Robert Rourke. And this is a guy that was hunting in Africa right after World War II. So we're looking at the 50s here. So that's not that long ago. And that was back in the days, though, when a safari party would be, you know, the, the white hunter, the client, maybe his wife, and a, a cadre of maybe 30 as a staff of, of natives that would go and, and move this little movable tent city th throughout the hunting ranges. And there were different jobs, and there were cooks and porters mm -hmm. and everything else. The, the two most prestigious jobs that you could possibly have was, one was the gun bearer slash tracker that was right there with the client and the boana the whole time. Uh, and the second and, and, and equally prized was to be a skinner. If you were a skinner, when you uh, took care of the animal for the client, the first thing you did when you went to, to gut it was open it up, and in these lean plains animals, there'd be two long strips of fat right on the inside, pure fat, and the first thing they would do is take those out, and the gun bearer at the prestigious level would get one, and then the skinners would split the other one. And that was like the huh. most important thing in the world is to get the piece of fat out of the impala. And they could care less about the chops right, that, right. that the client was eating that night over the fire, even though they tasted great and they're probably great for you. Sure. They wanted that fat. Absolutely. That's where it's at. And um, that, that, that's a wonderful story. I like that. I like that little bit of history lesson there. Well, it's, it's just neat, like you say, you start, cause you start talking about the stuff that happened. It just makes the mind switch on and we start to remember all these things. And I think you're right. People are going to their grave with the information because mm -hmm. society's put us to sleep. Society has con conditioned us to believe that whole wheat bread is good for us. Yes, uh, right. And like right. I said, it's not even the wheat that we were eating 25 years ago. Um, it's not whole wheat. 99% of wheat, you see whole wheat bread. That means they mm -hmm. threw a little bit of whole wheat powder in there. Um, God knows what other crap's in there. It's probably been sprayed with insect aside yeah that, and corn and soy corn soy wheat that's that's it it's in everything that's in a box so so as a, as a survivalist minded person that wants to store yeah. food like i said we do store a lot of wheat uh, okay. and and that's something we store a lot of because we need something to to stretch if we ever had to go three months, six months without mm -hmm. uh, systems of support. What are some other things we can do? I mean, I make biltong, which is, but you make that with lean meat, uh, jerky, you know. Right. Are there other I ways that we can create stores what, of food and, yeah. and meet this paleo requirement? Yes. Let's, let's fo for meats, so you have your preservation methods, your dry preservation, um, your salts, your, you know, your cured meats. That's a fine awesome art form that's going to give you a nice subset you know a, a nice place then also the frozen meats how sustainable that is for um if um obviously freezers are going to require power you know in a reasonable failure of society we may still have electricity and freezers right whether you have a absolutely 
or whatever. So let's save, get your vegetables out of the freezer. They cannot really sustain you. Vegetables are nice. They're cute. They taste good. And um, they help fill you up a little bit. But believe me, spinach ain't where it's at. Okay. It took an animal a hell of a lot of grass to make that muscle. Okay. You're getting some massive nutrients in meat. Use your freezer space for meat. Freeze your meat. And let's keep that there. A little bit of produce in there is fine, especially to fill it in and keep the freezer full. So anytime your levels get a little low, keep that freezer full. You can freeze your fresh vegetables if you get out of the garden, local farmer's market, wherever. So that's a great way to keep your meat. And then with the fermentation, like I said, let's say, for example, uh, last November was my I put up my big... Uh, sauerkraut for the winter. So that was in November. I'm still eating it. It's September. I'm eating it from last year. And that's, that's, um, I did, uh, 55 pounds of uh, sauerkraut. You know, and folks, I want to tell you, that's not that hard to grow that in a relatively small plot in your own backyard. Uh, that's something you can do. And I think that, I mean, I want to make sure people get this out of you today, Brian, or, you know, the whole interview doesn't really drive home what we're trying to say here. Uh, if you eat a piece of cabbage, that's one thing, and it's only got so many calories and what have you, and it only has certain nutritional value. When you convert it into a lacto-fermented product, it changes the value that it is to your body immensely. It, the bioavailability of nutrients is dramatically increased. So not just from the bacterial perspective, but the nutrients in the food. So fermentation actually removes what are called anti-nutrients. This is only done two ways, fermentation and cooking. Um, there's things like phytic acid and other things. Ferment, fermenting foods removes these anti-nutrients. Remember, anti-nutrients are there. Some plants want to be protected. They don't want to be eaten. They want to go to seed and spread, right? That's their nature. They don't necessarily want to be consumed in the plant state before they get to seed or they would fail. They would, they would disappear. So they have present anti-nutrients. Some things are bitter, you know, it, it, so that they're not flavorfully attractive to eat. Well, we can eliminate these anti-nutrients through fermentation. You're going to get a healthier food product. Like I said, it's called bioavailability of the nutrients. That's absolutely awesome, Brian. Well, I'd like to thank you for being with us here today. I'll give you a chance for any final thoughts you want to deliver before we wrap up. Yeah, sure. Look at your local community. Now, I'm not expecting everyone to go out and start fermenting foods, but how about if one person in your community that had the time and the space could do it? What if you donated the jars? What if your community got together? What if you have a large grower in your neighborhood? They've got an abundance of produce. Why don't you all get together? Ferment the foods, put them in one or two locations, and save that up. Then you all have equal access and you're all responsible for it. Or if one person can take it on themselves, become an entrepreneur. Start teaching the art of fermentation. Um, build work, Do workshops. Become the local supplier. Do it on the black market. Sell to your family, friends. Check into the state. See if you can go legit and sell at farmer's markets. So there's an entrepreneurial aspect here by learning ancient and cultural foods. Teach it. I want more people to get out there. I'm not, I don't want to be the guy. I want every, I want every community to have a guy, right? And I'll, I'll leave it at that. I think that's awesome advice and what a great way to start spreading, uh, the preparedness mindset. The minute you're storing food, guess what? You've crossed over to the, uh, not the dark side, but what I consider the light side, the side that's responsible for yourself 
and for your community. So, Brian, again, I appreciate you being with us today. Um, folks, again, you can get on Brian's website. It's at Ask Brian, and it's B-R-Y-A-N. Brian spelled that way, AskBrian.com. I'll have links to there uh, in the show notes today, and I will have uh, uh, any links that Brian uh, sends to me on email after we uh, wrap up here. I'll shove them in there for you as well, so for your uh, ease of use. And again, Brian, hey, man, thanks for being with us on the show. Love to have you back in the future to talk about more of this stuff. Thank you, Jack. It was awesome. All right, man. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko today, along with Brian Davis, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. There's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess We follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Nobody up there cares.